Welcome back to the ACRO Files. The American College of Real Estate Lawyers was founded in 1978. And during its 44 year history, it's grown to more than 1,000 distinguished real estate practitioners fostering the exchange of the most sophisticated ideas and experiences in the development, financing, and investment in real estate. Having completed our first series of founders of the college, we now continue with individuals who, who played a role in the college and also had a role in the growth of the real estate legal, legal industry to talk about their observations about their past and to share their insight about the benefit for, for future generations of real estate lawyers. So today I'm really pleased to welcome my good friend, Nina Maitis. Welcome, Nina. Thank you, Jay. And thank you it's for doing it. It's my pleasure and it's really good to see you. Nina was a member of the college back from, I believe, 1988, and we served on the board together um, in the early years um, and has um, much, much to talk about, I think, uh, both about the role of, of the college, but also what she accomplished through a really incredible legal and business career. But let, let's start back and roll the tape back to the beginning and tell us a little bit, Nina, about your, your early life and where you grew up and how you got to um, become a lawyer. Okay, so um, I'm a kid from Woodmere, Long Island, uh, you know, grew up in the five towns uh, and whose parents were very, very supportive even in the day of the idea that um, I would have a profession, although no one was sure what. I think back then I thought I was gonna be a doctor. Um, I went to Smith College where freshman year, I almost flunked out because of all the science courses and decided I would go for political science. Um, it's senior year when I was interviewing for jobs, um, they kept asking me, you know, can I type, can you file? I, you know, was so uh, out of it that I thought I was gonna be like ambassador to Russia or something, but um, I decided that, that was not really what I was looking for. And I just randomly decided, okay, I'll go to law school. And when I interview for jobs, they won't be able to ask me any of that. And so I went to law school sort of on a random thing and went to graduated from NYU. Um, so from NYU, um, did you go, did you go straight through? I went straight from, I went straight from Smith to NYU. Um, and then my, I actually wanted to be a labor lawyer when I was in NYU. They had a great labor program. Um, and after my uh, third year, my ex-husband and I decided to get married and he wanted to try a different city. So he moved to Chicago. So I was interviewing for jobs in having had no job after my second year because I traveled around Europe instead. Um, I was interviewing for jobs in June for September. And I think there was one law firm that had um, a job open and that was on Stingle So I immediately wanted to be in the, in the litigation department and they explained to me that they needed someone in corporate because um, they had hired, I was the first woman attorney there and they had hired a woman and she was pregnant and she wanted to start part-time and they said that was not okay. Um, you know, it was a first year associate, which I understand. So I was put into the corporate department. And what was interesting is when I talked to the guys in litigation and explained I was just there temporarily because I would be moving over into litigation, they explained to me that that would never happen because the head of litigation, a really smart man by the name of Bert Weisenfeld would never have a woman in litigation because we really weren't quite as analytical. Um, as, it, as you needed to be. Turned out the corporate department at Arnstein, the corporate tax area, 
and had some real estate, a guy by the name of Stuart Greenberger, was really very gender neutral. Um, you know, the first time I went on a business trip for a client, I was sitting with Dan Gluck, who was one of the name partners at the time. And I heard him telling whoever was on the other end that, you know, I know you've never done this before, but she really is one of our best associates. And if it doesn't work out, you'll tell us. And I'm pretty sure, you know, it was that clear that it was about the fact that I was uh, female. But he's not someone who would have said, we'll find you another associate. And I give them a lot of credit for it. You know, so I would say that I locked out in the sense that I was a good, I was a good business lawyer. I really was a good business lawyer. I wound up in a place that really worked well for me. And during the course of that, I met uh, Stuart Greenberger, who was corporate and also real estate. And he really became my mentor. Um, so fourth year, I think, fourth year I was in the firm, I got pregnant. Um, and they, I, and I'm, I'm telling this sort of as a background because it's so different than now. But they um, called me in and told me that they had sent the wife of one of the other partners in real estate to her gynecologist to find out how much time I would need off with pay after I had a baby for health reasons, which I hadn't asked for. And so they gave me six weeks and they said I could take three months and I, I'm in New York visiting my parents with the baby and I get a call from Stuart saying, we're leaving, we're starting our own firm, which is how I got, it's just how my real estate practice really began growing with him. Um, and we started Greenberger and Kaufman. He was a spectacular man. He was my mentor. He was smart. And I could watch how he dealt with clients. Um, and unfortunately, he got brain cancer and died young. And for me, turned out, I was, his clients considered me the person they would go to. And I was really young. I mean, we were doing a major deal when he found out about brain cancer for Marvin Davis, when he split up the, the Fox business split up. You know, and I was left there, I was scared to death. I mean, he was a man who understood securities, he understood tax, he understood real estate, he understood corporate. And I thought to myself, I am never going to be able to do this. And found out I could. So you joined Arnstein, you said you were the only woman? Yes, I was the only female attorney. And how many lawyers were there then about? I would guess Arnstein had about 60 something lawyers. And in fact, funny story, I worked with a guy on, one of my first projects was uh, researching the lottery laws of 50 states. A little bit boring, I'd have to say. And, but this guy was brilliant, wonderful man, and went to one of the name partners and said, I had really asked for an associate, and why do I have a secretary? And <laughs> <laughs> said, you know, you do, you have a very fine associate. And I really loved working with him. He was wonderful to work with. But that also happened to me a lot. I mean, I, we did a huge deal with the MetLife and we had a big closing dinner and one of the senior people at MetLife said to Stuart Greenberg, he said, how did you get a secretary that was that smart? You know, and Stuart said, well, she's not my secretary. And, oh, it must be a paralegal. You know, so at the beginning it was, but in Chicago particularly, it was unheard of. There were very, very few women in business. There was Shelley Rosenberg, who I considered, you know, a mentor and just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. There was a woman in uh, accounting by the name of Dale Reese. Um, you know, no, so Dale. there was this, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's wonderful. There was this small quadrant of, of women, but, but mostly not. And those, um, was that group, Dale, Shelley, right? Um, were you consciously supportive of each other and trying to help each other? Or were you yes. all on your 
No, no, yes. And in fact, Gail and I did a deal together. She was treasurer, I think, at Urban at the time. And Urban was a client of at Greenberg and Kaufman. And we did, you know, we did a deal together. Shelley Rosenberg was very mentoring to a lot of women. Um, and actually, I would say Debbie Cafaro got her okay. start in part because of Shelley Rosenberg. Right. Um, she got out of her law firm because of Shelley Rosenberg. Um, and I think she would acknowledge it too. Yeah, people was people were very supportive of each other. It was Chicago. It was a whole different atmosphere. Not very um, different. Very different from New York. Yeah. The only thing I would say that early on was really a nightmare was the amount of sexual harassment, which was for me pretty constant. I mean, including partners at the firm, including clients. You know, it was really very difficult and managing it, navigating it when you go to conferences and stuff was very hard. Right. But but you obviously managed your way through that incredible challenge that all women who were successful back in that era had to do. What would you say some of the key takeaways from that experience are looking back? You mean the sexual harassment? Well, the, generally. Navigating being a woman in a very man's world there. All right. So this is what I would say. First of all, I would say my career Look, I was good at what I did and I worked really hard, but there was a lot of luck. And I think anyone who doesn't acknowledge the luck in their career path is not being honest with themselves. But you get luck and then you take advantage of it. I think the thing when I look back on it, I actually think it was an advantage being the only woman in the room for a number of reasons. First of all, with all due respect to all of you, you all looked alike. You had the same suit and the same tie and the same shirt and the room was full of you. And then there was me. And so a lot of people would remember me. I don't even think they knew if I was good. I was just a difference. So that was one thing. The other thing is when I look back on it, I brought myself to the table. It didn't dawn on me that I was supposed to sort of act like a guy and try and be a guy in a guy's world because it wasn't a guy. I don't think I consciously thought about it. I just don't think it was in my being to try and be different than who, my, than who I was. You know, so... I also think that, you know, being underestimated is a real gift. So if you're at a table, we, we had one deal. I walk into the room, my client is there and the other people from the other side don't know who I am at all, obviously. And they asked me to bring them coffee. And my client was about to start objecting. And I looked at them and shook my head, got everybody coffee, served the coffee. And then my client said to the other side, and now we'd like to introduce you to our lawyer, Nina Matus. And they were frozen in place. And after the meeting, I said to my client, I said, why would you not take advantage of something that was going to throw them off a little bit? Because they were embarrassed. You know, so, so I... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Jay. No, I was just going to say, it is fascinating listening to it because you will see Portia said very much the same thing about being advantageous when you were the only women in the room. Whereas we all think you guys had this, whole, and you did have this tremendous disadvantage that you had to work through, but the most successful women who came up through that, that era seemed to have said, I'm gonna use this to my advantage. Whether you thought about it or not, you just had to not take, those certain things you, not, you had to not take personally. I mean, having a client say to you, I wanna to go to bed with you. And then when you say no, going to your boss and saying, she's not doing good work, is not really a joyous occasion. But knowing that when you walk into the room, you go, I'd go do a deal in the South, especially for Sears when I was still at Arnstein. 
you know, they called everyone dear. That was the Southern guy. And I just decided I wasn't going to make an issue out of it. And I could never tell if they were dismissing me because I was female or dismissing me because I was young. But I was just going to hold my ground and, and know my business. And I think knowing your business makes a very big difference. I do think women had to outperform men to be accepted. I do think you had to walk into the room. I remember the first time there was a big party at Arnstein that they finally invited spouses. And they asked me to help plan them. And then I, so I got abandoned, got in trouble for doing it. But I also, women, the boys would come up to me and say, oh, you're Nina Mays. And I think to myself, I should wear a sign that says, yes, I'm Nina Mays. They were just trying to figure out who I was. I went on one business trip, the partner, to New York, actually, funny enough, the partner's wife came with us for 10 days. Cause it was, and I it just cracked me up. It just it just really cracked me up. Um, so, okay. So I want to come back to some of that. But you you said you got you talked about your litigation, you know, sort of uh, intent in the beginning. Got assigned to storage group and did the corporate. How did you sort of get into? I assume you didn't have any background in real estate. Right? Of so course not. Right. How did you get into the real estate stuff, and how did you become? Because we're going to talk about how you transitioned of course, from being a fabulous, one of the best real estate lawyers in the country to becoming a business person. So I will get to that. This is what I would say. Stuart Greenberger, who was my mentor, was a corporate slash real estate lawyer. And I, I remember um, <laughs> we, did a, we did a deal um, where we were representing a bunch of McDonald's franchisees selling back to McDonald's. There's a business deal. I don't care what the product is. It's a business deal. He had me look at the title and survey, which was a disaster. You know, he asked, this is a true story. He asked me if I had seen all these properties and he asked me, did you see a property? Now, only in New York would say something like this for Tucson. And I said, no, but there is something for Tux in here. That's a true story. <laughs> it's embarrassing, but true. And then he looked at me and he said, the truth is, I don't care if you really know title and survey, you're gonna get someone else to do that for you. I want you to know the business of this. I want you to understand how things like tax or securities or accounting, which I knew nothing about and still know not a lot about, um, impact the ability to do this deal in this business. I want you to think about how to approach the deal. What, what are the things that we can give up? What are the things we really need? You know, what's the sweet spot in the deal? I want you to learn to be a business lawyer. So I look at real estate as, and in Chicago, like if you had a big a partnership agreement to do, you didn't go to the corporate department and ask them to do the partnership agreement. It was, it was a real estate client, you did all that stuff. So I look at real estate as, it's, it's, it's a business practice, and the business happens to be real estate. The asset happens to be real estate, yeah. correct. It's, it's, correct. it's a different kind of widget. It's a, it's a real estate widget. And I found it fascinating. And Stuart had a wonderful practice. So I really, I mean, I happened to, despite what I ultimately went with iStar and Safehold, I loved the development aspect of it. You know, so one of my very first deals was Copy Place. It was a young associate, you know, and I mean, I remember looking at that site and thinking nothing will ever get built here. You know, so you just learn to do the different agreements. That in, I did a chill plant agreement. I had no idea what I was doing. There was this wonderful engineer who was, I think, from like Switzerland or something like that, had a heavy accent. I barely knew what he was talking about. And I would sit with him 
and try and figure out what that document had to say. It was between, like, I think, the Marriott at this time and the central area, what it had to say to make it work. And Stuart's training of me was think of this as a business, approach this as a business, and, and, and that's what it is. You know, because he was he was a corporate slash real estate lawyer, um, and did both. Okay, so you eventually end up at Catton, right? We do uh, about, and we wound up at Catton to give them credit. Stuart has brain cancer. He decides that he really thinks it's important. We're a small firm that we go for a bigger firm. That it was, and and out of fairness, I mean, Stuart actually didn't think anyone but him would ever be able to get business. Um, but you know, that was his insecurity, I guess, about us. And he, um, you know, he decided to merge into another firm. And we had offers from a lot of places that would have taken Stuart, they would have taken me, maybe a couple of other people. But Catton was willing to take everyone all the way down to the mailroom kids. And Stuart, I'm sure, got a lot less money out of that deal that he would have gotten from some other firms that had made offers. But he felt we had to keep everyone together. And I had huge respect for him for that. And it influenced my decisions when other firms came after me after he died. Because mm -hmm. um, I felt I had made a commitment to him and to Catton to make this work. Right. So talk a little bit about, um, you were obviously very successful at Catton, because um, you, you know, as you said, you had this great mentor. You joined the college in 1988. Do you recall sort of how you became aware of the college and what, what your initial impressions were? I have absolutely no recollection of how I became aware of the college. Not, I think maybe Howard Kane or something like that okay. you know, gave him a call. And for reasons that I wouldn't go on to on this call, it was a while before I went to my first meeting, um, having nothing to do with the college. Um, but you know, I, th I think it may have been Howard Kane. And also I met Flora Schnall, who well, I really first, loved. Right, our first female president. Right. I thought she was an interesting, and I think, I think it was Howard that introduced me to her. And a who came to me and said, I'm gonna nominate you for the, this, you should really do this. You know, you meet interesting people. Um, I'd have to say this has nothing to do with the quality of the programs at the college is not sort of my personality to necessarily want to go and learn the details of certain things. I tend to learn things by doing them. But the people for the most part were really nice. The programs were well done. You know, and the activities were interesting. And it was just a nice group of people to be around. Um, and there were some fabulous women. You I know, was gonna say, all group then, you, Flora, Portia, Beverly, Right. Beverly, who I loved. Carol, right, Wellborn. So you had a small group of women. And of course, somebody back then, I don't know if it was Carol, I don't think it was, started the Women's Initiative in your, your Thursday night. Um, actually, it was me and somebody. Okay. It was me and Flora. And we started, we started doing just, it was social. We would get together in an evening. We would have a dinner. We would have drinks. We would talk. It was really great. And then we had a meeting in Chicago. And I did the cardinal sin, and I actually got in a lot of trouble with this at the college, of inviting the women to my home. <laughs> and that was very frowned upon because the guys weren't invited. But this was, you know, women just sort of beginning to help women. Right. You know, this was women making women more comfortable and feeling much more like we belonged and that no one was doing us a favor if they put us on a board. 
you know, that no one was doing a favor if someone was like on the verge of leadership, you know, that we belonged there. And, you know, I don't think necessarily the men understood that being in this really small group was getting to know other women who are also going through things that we didn't think guys went through, you know, going through things like how are we going to balance spouses who wanted what they wanted and our children and our career and having to go on a business trip and how are we dealing with, you know, daycare, you know, things that had nothing to do with what's the best deal you just did, but had to do with um, how to manage life. And one of the things, if there's a woman who worked out at iStar, a woman by the name of Julie, who I loved, and she belonged to a woman's group. And, you know, they would have breakfast at other people's places. And when they'd have it at iStar, she'd ask me if I would come talk to them. And one of the things I said to them is one of the mistakes in my mind of my generation of women is the notion that you could have it all is true. You just can't have it all at the same time. And that's a lesson learned in retrospect. And the other piece of it is guys didn't have it all at the same time. You know, if we honestly looked at the men, they didn't have it all at the same time either. We thought, we thought they did in some, in some respect. So we, a bunch of us at a certain level were trying to have it all at the same time. And we couldn't talk to guys about that because from our perspective, the guilt associated with not being around the child when they needed homework or not being at a school event. I don't think women, and I'm making this up because I don't know, you know, it's way a long time ago. But I think we just gave each other support in multiple ways. And it was something we really looked forward to. So that, that, that woman's group, right, at ACRO, created mm -hmm. a real sense of, maybe empowerment is too strong of a word, but a real sense of an exchange that was un unique to the women. And too bad on the guys that were not feeling very good about that. Except, you know, Joe Forte, of course, came and joined Of course, showed up at every single one. Right. That Jeff they always showed up. But, but yeah, but it was camaraderie. It was really not camaraderie to the exclusion of men, camaraderie with each other. Um, and it, for me, at least, that's what it did for me. I mean, one of my very, very, very closest friends in the world is a woman by the name of Susan Passaboy, who was also in the college. Sure, college, yeah. And we, you know, we met on a deal, actually. We met on the Spanish Bay deal um, when uh, we were doing Spanish Bay and then again selling Pebble Beach. She was a land use lawyer. And so she was the lawyer who did the land use for that. And you know, we became really close friends because and we lived in totally different places. I lived, you know, in Chicago, she lived in San Francisco at the time. But we'd see each other there all the time and spend hours together and just really have fun. So is it is it fair to say that the college, because of its size, not large, right? We weren't the ABA, you weren't that the college really was a great facilitator for that group of women? I think so. I mean, I don't know how someone like the other women would feel, but I think so, yes. Um, I think, you know, I think it gave, it gave each, we gave each other support and, you know, confidence and, yeah, that, I mean, that's, but that's how I felt about it. You know, right. I don't know how anyone, I can't put myself in anyone else's shoes. Right, of course, but you also, I always used to marvel, and I saw this, of course, when I, when I joined Redneck and became familiar with Portia, right, that this, there was a, a very, I, I thought, powerful woman's network inside of Akron, right, doing this stuff and also referring to, I mean, I just watched yes. this as, as we've gone through the years of, of women partners trying to get women teams of lawyers, great, and refer business to other women, and that was happening inside the college, I think. 
it was in, look, it was also happening in the business world at the time. Um, you know, for instance, uh, Robin Joseph, um, when she came to start the Chicago office, um, I, think it was, I think she was, you know, happy to, when she interviewed a whole bunch of different lawyers, I think she was happy that they picked me uh, to, to try out and then see if, you know, I could, if I could do it. They, um, you know, there's a woman who ran the Ameritech Pension Fund. She wanted to give business to women. You know, and then inside the college, women were happy to refer business to women. And part of it was, you weren't on the golf course with the guys. You couldn't, you know, when you have um, some of the big conventions like for ICSC and stuff, it was really hard after the cocktail hour to go out partying with all the guys. It just was, especially in places like ICSC, which were, you know, a little bit wild. You know, so it was, if you could, if there was a woman who was a really good lawyer and you could refer business, you'd, you'd send it, because why not? You know, it was our, it was one of the sources of, of getting business. Right, right. I mean, not everyone, sadly, I mean, the fact that Stuart died so young was, to me, was just a horror. But I was left with this book of business because his clients did think that I was going to be their it. But that launched me into all other kinds of businesses because people saw me at the table. People saw me in action. Right. But as you say, I mean, as I say to my kids all the time, the harder you work, the luckier you get. You were, I agree you were with lucky, that. Right? You were lucky, right? Because you got the benefit of being around Stuart and others in Chicago, but particularly Stuart. So, you know, but that just, that's yeah. just one. Look, a, door, a, a door opened and I was there for it. And you know, we did a lot of work for a company at the time. It was called Millard's Plus Davis Gray. It was Marvin Davis Real Estate Company. And we had, it was an event for Tom Klutznick, you know, after he passed away. Um, and Ricky Miller was there, actually. And Ricky left. He said, you know, you thought that we gave you the business because we were loyal to Stewart. He said, we gave you the business because you were good. Right. And worked hard. And we're appreciative. He said, we're not that dumb to just give you the business because we like, you know, we loved Stuart. It, but I was there to be seen. So tell us, let's, let's pivot and tell us how you transitioned from being a very successful private lawyer practitioner at a very good law firm to go to the other side. Okay, so that's also just happenstance. So I, we're gonna take it back a little bit. Robin Joseph was very good friends with Barry Sternlick. Barry Sternlick was in Chicago at the time. Okay. Working for Sam. No, Barry Sternlick worked and came out of JMB. JMB, right, JMB. But he had left because of this London deal, and he's looking for lawyers. Robin Joseph goes, it's a little bit of a long, short, long story. Robin Joseph goes over to his office and has these names on the list. Okay. And Robin says, Who's that? And he says, Those are the lawyers I'm going to talk to. She said, That's not who you're going to go talk to. You're going to go talk to Nina Mavis. And it's a guy, Jonathan Elian, who worked for him. When I first went over there to meet with Barry, Barry was, of course, late. And Jonathan is sitting there and he began asking me questions. And I said, what do you think I'm here for? He said, we have an ad for a secretary. <laughs> started laughing. I said, you're too young to make that assumption. And I love Jonathan. I've kept with friends for years now. I started doing work for Barry. Barry now goes to Connecticut. And Jay Sugarman, um, one of the funds he had worked for was invested with Barry. And Jay Sugarman was working now with Barry Sternland. And they started, they were starting a fund um, to do a mezzanine debt. 
This is a store with capital now. This is a store with capital, um, which they all thought they made up, like none of us had done a piece of mezzanine debt before that time. But anyway, um, they thought they, and, and Barry said to Jay, to do this one, we're going to use Nina Mays. Jay still claims that he didn't almost faint when he found out he was getting a quote girl from New York. But, you know, so Jay and I worked on two funds together. And it's interesting. Our personalities are um, very different. He's very Zen. I'm very not Zen. But our principles are very the same. And we complemented each other doing business. And fast forward, there's a lot of deals done. And there was, it turned out to be a not valid REIT, but there was a, what they thought was a REIT with no assets in it in California. And they decided they were going to roll all of the assets in these two funds that were that were mezzanine kind of debt into that REIT. And on one of the two funds, if they didn't do it and get it done, it was, in, it was going to be an ERISA issue. Jay, so we get, we, we're getting, about to get that done. And Jay called me and he said, how about you move back to New York and start, and, and start this business with me? And I said, oh, okay, that sounds interesting. I won't have to keep timesheets, you know, which was my skill. And when I first went, the deal I cut with Jay was, besides that we would work in New York and not Connecticut, was I would stay as a partner at Catton. I would come as a general counsel, but I'd not be a real general counsel because I don't, that's not what I knew how to do. I would really be the deal per, a deal person, you know, with my legal skills. And he, and I said to him, you, can't really afford me, but I'll give you a go. And interestingly, he said yes. Of course, Catton said yes. And he said, yeah, sure. And the board said, sure. Um, and so that's how that started. And I found that I really loved it because it let me bring to the table sort of not only my legal mind, but my business acumen, which I did have. Um, and, you know, it, and I already knew a lot of lawyers in New York. And, you know, because my business at Catton was pretty national because of things like MKDG, because of Barry Stern. Like, you know, it's, it, was, it was pretty national because MetLife would periodically use me, um, you know, even on some New York stuff. You know, so I went with Jay and he would say, the rest is history. Um, and did some of my most difficult and interesting things, you know, with him, you know, because, uh, I mean, one of the things that I know is one of my skills is in the workout world. It's one of my skills is when things are about to hit the fan. You know, I bring a certain type of personality to it. Um, and, and I like it, you know, I find it interesting. And I was really done with, the other thing is, you know, again, I was lucky. I had done a bunch of really wonderful developments and, you know, including the whole mall in West Palm, you know, including Reston Town Center, including, I mean, for God's sakes, I represented Aspen Ski Company in Pebble Beach. You know, that just sort of happened over time. Um, I did the you know, wonderful projects in Chicago. I was tired of keeping time. I was tired of making, yeah, look, I, you know, Ron Crabb, who I don't know if you know or not know, he's still a very good friend. I was a very good client. I was tired of having to make Sure, everyone thought that they were the most important client in my life. And I cared about all of them and did wonderful things, deals for all of them. But this seemed to me like, you know, why the heck not? So I'll be a business person lawyer. And so I just went and came back to New York and, you know, was fortuitous because my father got very sick within months after I came back and actually wound up dying the same thing that Stuart Greenberger did. 
which was a horror. But, um, and Jay and I were wonderful, wonderful, wonderful partners together. I mean, we were just a spectacular team together. And in fact, when I retired, he was doing this major retirement party, wrote a play for me, which, you know, I'm on the board of Signature Theater. I was president of the board there, which he called the people at Signature Theater and they got two actors, one of whom was the actress who played the psychiatrist, I forget in which of the series, and they put on a play. <laughs> it was, you know, but we were good together and we went through some really tough times together. And would you say that you, as you evolved at iStar, that you became less of a lawyer and more of a business person? What I would say is I don't distinguish it that much. Okay, as I said to you, I never really, and this is not knocking, I, I still can barely read a survey. I mean, I know how to read around the lines, but when they started doing the three-dimensional surveys for, you know, you know, buildings like Water Tower Place, I, I, I just, when I was a kid in school, I got crappy grades and that kind of thing. You know, so it just, that piece of it, I never thought of real estate as you just transfer a piece of property, or you just do a lease, or you just do this, or you just, to me, it was a business. And it didn't really so much change at iStar, it's just that my influence on business decisions became much more impactful because I was internal. And when, and Jane knows this, when, when I really thought we were going in a wrong direction on something, I would try and find a legal an angle. Mm -hmm. So he'd have to listen to me, even though it was really my point on why I wanted to do it differently was a business point. Um, you know, but we got through some really tough times together. I mean, we got through almost having to file bankruptcy. You know, I would, we, we had to raise $3 billion worth of debt. Um, was a wonderful woman at the time there, Michelle McKay, who I just, we were very good friends. And we would sit like late into the night, night after night, trying to figure out how we were going to get the financing done. And the day we went to sell the debt, the tsunami happened in Japan. Now, obviously we got it done, but I was able to say to Jake things like, okay, we just got this $100 million in. We're not going to pay down the debt. We don't have to. The only thing that will happen is they'll just start scraping money. And, I, and they knew how to play. I knew how to sit at a table with people and not be afraid of what they were going to say to me. Right, right. And that's a little bit was in my personality. It's less than anything else. It was just in my personality. So you've obviously, as most of us in this generation, have seen lots of cycles, right? Ups yeah. And down. I'm not going to talk about what's, what's coming or what's not. Um, but you've also, through this long, distinguished career, saw a lot of evolution, I think, right, in how women have evolved and how women have a seat at the table now, right? So what, what would your advice be to, to, you know, women who are entering the profession and, and, and how they need, what they, what they need to do to be successful? Okay. First thing I would say is you have to make sure you like what you're doing. Because it's a really, we both know, it's a really tough profession if you don't like it. It's, it's, you don't like it, it's really not fun. I don't mean just real estate, I mean the whole profession. If you don't like what you're doing, so you have to be sure that this is what you wanna be doing. I think there are a couple of things. I think the first thing is bring yourself to the table. Don't try and think of what should I be like. Think of who am I, what are the skills I bring to the table and bring those to the table. Second thing I would say is you have to work really hard. This is not, you know, this is not a, a nine to five job. It's just not in my opinion. Um, I think you have to be 
honest about yourself. I think, I think arrogance goes down really badly when you're doing business. I just do. But I would also say, I have, this is another thing I said to this, this is a group of business women. You have to think of yourself as the head of it. You have to picture in your mind that yes, I can be that person. I can be that person if you're in a law firm that's gonna bring in millions of dollars of business. I can bring, be that person that's gonna, in fact, I'm gonna be, can be that person that's gonna run the most complicated deal around. I can be that person if you have any interest in it, which I didn't, who can run the law firm. If you go, if you're internal in a company, you have to think of yourself as, if you would want this, I could be that person who will be on track to be CEO. You have to picture yourself in that role. And then you have to give yourself a break. You really have to accept that you can't do everything perfectly and pick the things. Your career is really important if you're in it. So are your children. You don't have to throw great dinner parties. You know, you have to pick, you have to accept that you may not, this, and this is just my history, that you may not have as much time to be with your girlfriends as you'd like. Time passes really quickly. It's cyclical. You'll get to that place. But mostly you have, you know, you have to bring your best self to the table as much as you can. And you have to be willing to ask for help and know where to get the help. Right. And, and for your young associate, I don't care if you're male or female, a senior partner gives you a deal. You need to know who the young partner is that works for that person and go to them to ask the questions on what documents the guy likes or how the person or the woman or how the person likes to, you know, perceive it. But, you know, it's, it, it's hard and you have to take advantage of opportunities. To me, when a door opens, unless it screams bad, when a door opens, you should have the guts to walk in it. Because the worst thing that might happen is it won't be the right thing and then another door is gonna open. But you can never tell what's behind that door unless you go and take a chance. And what's the role, you were very clear, right? That when you got hired, we talked about this, you were the only woman in the firm. What's the role now and the opportunities of, of, of how important, right? That there are a lot of terrific women in these law firms and in these general counsel's offices, right? So what's the role now of finding the right mentor? How important is that? Um, okay, so I think having the right mentor is very important. And I think, look, a, a mentor can be a guy. My mentor was a guy. There was no other person to mentor me. But I think if you see anyone in the firm, but for a female to see a female and you look at how she's going about her practice, going about her life as much as you can tell, because, you know, people's lives aren't that open book. Um, and, and there's something about that woman that um, you say, God, assuming you want to be here someday, you can also look and say, I really respect you. And I never want to be, I never want to be that. But it's, I think it's important to have someone to go to. I think it's important to have someone to, to go to who can say, how did you balance this? How should I balance this? Or to have someone to say, you know what? I walked into this meeting because there are still plenty of meetings that the number of women in the room is really small. Um, I, I walked into this meeting and this happened and it made me uncomfortable. You know, now there are places to go, but how, you know, how did you think about it? Or just to be able to talk or just to be able to say, you know, when you got to this stage, what did you do? I also think mostly it is really important for women 
of my generation, the generation beneath me like that, to want to step up and be a mentor, to not have the attitude of I made it, let them go make it on their own, to not have the attitude of flex time, although it was for me, wasn't available for me, so it should be available for no one. Of course, that's no more because we had COVID. Um, you know, to have, to, to say, this was my, these were my challenges. I would like to make it easier for other generations of women. Like the challenge being, it's really hard to do the job. That's just the challenge. A challenge being no one pictures a woman as that next person, the leader of the pack. That should not be in their way. And, you know, I think that women, I think women have an, an obligation to me, to other women to help them along. I mean, I think I happen to think senior people have an obligation to be mentors to as many people as they can. But I do think I do think it's very helpful personally for a woman to have a woman as a mentor. You know, bring them on the big deals. When you're thinking about, you know, who's the person you want to bring on the deal, okay, there's a couple the interesting women, bring them on the deal. You don't get to be the leader of the next deal if you're not on these deals. Right. You know, because clients need to see you. I, I think won't be for me to judge, but I think that's great advice. And hopefully our colleagues and women colleagues in ACWA will agree. I, I want to, I could talk for hours to you about all these topics, but I want to sort of close with two questions. Okay. Okay. The first question is, given the, where you sit today and all the amazing things you've done and accomplished over your career, if you look back, what advice would you give your 25-year-old self today? Oh, wow. Um, I, my 25-year-old self, my advice would be to believe in yourself. I mean, I was very insecure. When I had my first review at Onstein, I called my mother to tell her I was going to be fired. You know, so I would give myself, I would say to myself, believe in yourself. And that you do not have to be perfect to be good. You know, give yourself a break. I, you know, when I look back, and it's just personal, I look back at my 25-year-old self, I don't think my 25-year-old self would have thought my personal journey would be as confusing, as complicated as it was. But I would just say to myself, give yourself a break. Believe in yourself. You know, right. just believe in yourself. Right. Go there and believe in yourself. Right. Which strive, I, strive for perfection, but don't let it be your enemy. No, no, and, and I, yes, exactly. You can strive, to, but, but no one's perfect. Right. And if you make the strive to, to perfection, if you don't make it, then you're not good. It's a disaster. Right. Okay. My last question is, assuming you had the opportunity, we haven't seen you at Akron in a long time, but, but you know that the college is full of talented, amazing men and women. And we've done a great job, I think, the last several years, um, um, reducing our average age. We have a lot of young people. It's been a wonderful thing to watch. So, yeah. itself. so if you could post a sign at the registration desk of the next ACWA meeting with some pithy advice, what would it say? For ACWA? For the, for the, college, for the members, for, for the lawyers in the college. Oh, wow. I have no idea. I think the sign would say, this is going to sound really weird, live life. That's not weird, right? Because it's what you were saying before, that this is a really hard profession. And you got to- And live life. Out, 
live, live life. You know, and I think part of that, just to put it in context, part of that also comes from having gone through this last three years, you know, and realizing, you know, life's short, it's precious. And when I say live life, I don't mean cut out work. I mean, just live it, you know, own it, grab it. Maybe it's just grab life, you know, just okay. sort of like that. Okay, wonderful. Nina, thank you so much for spending ah, this time. One more thing that everyone should do besides their work is find their passion. Besides work, find your passion. Okay, great. This work stops. Well, thank you very much for this time. We really appreciate it. And, and it was great seeing you. And thanks it's, for it's good to see, and you know, say hi to everybody. Um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of wonderful people there. So I'm glad I did this just to see your smiling face. Thank you, Nina.